Get your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 33. Genesis chapter 33. And I want to speak to you this evening on the subject of biblical leadership. Do me a favor and don't turn your mind away from what's being said before you hear what's being said. Because you might imagine that that doesn't apply to you. But I think through the Scripture being open to you, you'll see that there's much to be gleaned and learned from for all of us in this tonight. Genesis 33, and we're going to go to three different places in the Scripture. And I'm going to give you some thoughts on this subject of biblical leadership. Genesis 33. Let me join you there. I was at the second place we were going. Genesis 33. And I want you to see one particular verse. Uh, Jacob and Esau have met together. Esau has come to meet Jacob after Jacob has been out of the country for a good number of years. When Jacob left the country, Esau had determined to kill him. And Esau was the kind of man who could do it. And so Esau had come to meet Jacob as he's coming. God had told Jacob to go back to his home, back to his home area. Of course, he had that night then, he had wrestled with the Lord. And his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. But something else happened during that wrestling match. Jacob was a strong man. He had some indications that make you know he, could, he had some strength to him. But when he wrestled with the Lord, the Lord reached down and touched the inner part of his thigh and it was out of joint. From that point forward, Jacob could no longer fully walk in his own strength. That's vital. When he became a prince of God man, he also learned he could no longer fully walk in his own strength. But his brother Esau's coming. And Esau has 400 men with him. That doesn't look good from a distance at all. And Jacob doesn't even have his full strength with his leg like it was. He couldn't even run properly. And uh, so they had met. It had not turned out to be like Jacob thought it might be. Instead, Esau expressed the gratitude to see him. And God had paved the way so that he was accepted and there was no bloodshed. But then Esau basically said, come with us. Come back with us to the land God's given us. And basically wanted Jacob to travel at speed. And remember, Esau has 400 men with him. 400 men, they'd be tough and harder. And he said, travel with us and keep up. And Jacob had all of his flocks. He had his flocks at different ages and they had young ones with him. He had women and had children. And, uh, and so he did not follow Esau at that point. He's trying to get away from me. And a statement was made by Jacob to Esau when Esau was wanting Jacob to keep up or go with him. He made the statement, uh, if you will, look in verse 12. He said, and he said, let us take our journey and let us go and I will go before thee. And he said unto him, Jacob says to Esau, 
My Lord knoweth that the children are tender, and the flocks and herds with young are with me. And if a man should overdrive them one day, all the flock will die. Let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before his servant, and I will lead on softly, according as the cattle that goeth before me and the children be able to endure until I come unto my Lord, unto Seir, which was a location. Key word in there, he said, or a key phrase, he said, I will lead on softly. Remember, I'm talking to you about biblical leadership. Look in Psalm 23. The next two examples are examples that one points directly to our Lord Jesus, the other one is directly about our Lord Jesus. And uh, therein we see the best defining of biblical leadership. <coughs> Psalm 23, familiar with this, but let's look at it and let's look at this thing of how he leads. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we see the leadership of the great shepherd is one that takes the sheep to a place of provision and a place of uh, peace and a place where they can be safe. And he gave that example. Now turn, if you will, all the way over to the book of Revelation, chapter 7. It's going to be one message. You can tell somebody our preacher preached from Genesis to Revelation in one message. Thank God we didn't hit every point in between. We'll be here a while. I'd be here a while. You'd have sense enough to go home at some point. Revelation 7. And here we look towards glory when we're with the Lord. And I love this. He's asked a question, the, the, the apostle is, about some who are clothed in white. He said, who are these? He answered very intelligently. He says to the one who's inquiring of him, who are these? And he said, Lord, thou knowest. Sometimes that's a good answer. <laughs> you know God. And he let him know. We'll pick it up with that question in verse 14. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He that setteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water. Isn't it amazing that even in this Heavenly setting, he's still being the great shepherd, and he's still being being our shepherd. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and uh, that that's a tremendous thing. The biblical leadership. 
As we begin tonight thinking about biblical leadership, I want to give you men in the congregation here, men of all ages, men who are men, men who are becoming men, men who potentially one day will be men. Um, every age group. I want to give you a quotation that I, I got a hold of. I, I liked it. It's from a book called What Makes a Marriage. It's by Pastor, Pastor rather Ray Stedman. Here's a statement that was made. It said, The prime role of man in marriage is that of intelligent leadership. I like the statement. The more I dwell on the statement, the more I like it. The prime role of man in marriage is that of intelligent leadership. Um, the verses that I read with you, as well as a lot of other scriptures, address the issue of being led and leading. The Bible deals with all aspects of leadership. From the duties of those who are led to the responsibilities and duties of those who are leading to the good and godly desire to be led of God. It deals with leadership and when it deals with being led and it deals with all those aspects of who are being led. What are our responsibilities? And by the way, all of us play different roles in that at different times. In fact, we have no right to lead if we can't be led. We have to be able to follow in order to lead. And to lead effectively and lead in a godly manner. I believe some of the very best training and the best qualification I had to become pastor of this church as a young man. The Bible college was helpful to me. Other things were helpful to me. But it was being in a following role to my pastor for two and a half years. Where my job was to do what the pastor needed. And in that, you learn the discipline of being able to lead properly and, and do things the right way. Not autocratically, but uh, with, with the Spirit of Christ the way you do it. Um, we have those who are leading and what is required when you are in a leadership role. And then, hopefully for everybody here, those who have a desire to be led of God. I think we want that. We won't be led of God. We want to go the right way. We don't want to waste our time in our life. We don't want to spin our wheels. We don't want to put our energy into something that's not useful and profitable and good. And so, uh, what are some of these things? And as I look at it, I, I, I realize that all good biblical leadership, and I was looking through all the times in the Bible it talks about it, all of it share three qualities. Every bit of it does. The first one that stands out is compassion. All good biblical leadership has compassion. Uh, one of the verses we read, Genesis 33, 14, Jacob was showing compassion. He was taking into consideration how much the flocks could endure. He said, well, part of it too, he didn't want to go with Esau and he didn't actually go over to Seir. I know all that. But the statement he made was a good statement because literally, you could not take the group he had and have them keep up with a group of 400 men traveling like a group of you know, battle-hardened seasoned men could travel. So there was compassion in that. Then, in Exodus 13.21, we find that God, when He took His children in through the wilderness, now think about this. There was a really short path between Egypt and the Promised Land. It was a really short path. And it did not involve going through the Red Sea. You could come around the end of the Red Sea and you can end up in the land of promise and what's Israel a lot faster than the way they went. 
There were two issues that God said that was the issue with that. One is if they went that short way, they were going to encounter very, very military, warlike people right away, and they were going to face warfare immediately coming out of Egypt. And God knew then, He said, they'll turn right back and go back to Egypt because they'd have a direct route back in. And He said that when they see war, they're going to turn around, they're going to go right back in. Second thing was, if they had went around that way, Pharaoh, once he got over the shock of what happened on, on, with the death of the firstborn stuff, he would have done then exactly what he ended up doing and say, let's go get them. Not only are we going to bring them back, but we're going to make them pay for what happened. And he would have had a direct land route to get to them. But instead, God took them through that Red Sea. Not only did he have a barrier where they could not physically turn around and just go back to Egypt when, when they encountered tough times, but also he wiped out Pharaoh's army there and Pharaoh no longer had power to come and get them. But that wilderness he took them into, part of it was to give them the law and then prove them to see how they would behave in the wilderness as he often does in our private lives and he takes us through some dry and desolate times to see what we will do. God wants to prove us. What are you made of? What are you doing? How, what, where will you go? What's your heart like? He's not just proving it to himself. God knows. He's proving it to us. We need to see what we are. We need to have a, a grasp of what we need from the Lord to be able to continue for Him. And so when they're going through the wilderness, they come along and they have a bad situation in a way. It gets very hot in the daytime. Very hot. How many of you don't particularly like super hot weather? Let me see your hand if that's the case. That'd be all right. How many of you, you say hot's fine, I don't like cold at all. all right. How many of you are only happy four days a year, two in the spring and two in the fall? Everybody, there you go, all right, there you go. Some of you raised your hands on all three. Um, you're not heat sensitive, you're confused, all right? But, uh, <laughs> but they did, they had a problem. It's not just a problem of comfort, it's a problem of uh, dehydration, it's a problem of wearing the people away. And uh, so they have a problem with that sun in the daytime where they're going. And then at night, equally, it gets as cold like it did during the day. Radical shifts the temperature. And not only that, but it's the wilderness. Guess how many of them had been through there? Moses had been around there with his father-in-law. But that group had never been through where they were going. They didn't know which way to go. And so God in His mercy, I'm talking about having compassion and leadership, God puts a pillar, and don't think it's some little small thing. Did you notice our neighbor's got lights up? Looks nice. We've got little pillars of light over here now. It looks, it looks kind of snazzy. I like what people are doing wrapping those around the tree trunks. I bet that's confusing to the squirrel population. Um, <laughs> but if you see some bug-eyed squirrels, you'll know what's happening. Um, but it's not a little thing like that. This thing's large. And in the daytime... It was a pillar, you know what it was made of. It was a pillar of what? Cloud. Why? To give them some protection, some, some uh, relief from that heat and from that burying sun. Nighttime, guess what it was? It was a pillar of fire. Not only to give them heat, but also give them light. Anybody trying to approach their camp in a hostile manner was coming into a lighted position. Militarily, that's not a good, <laughs> a good, good position to be in. And so what happens is, 
They had, not that nowadays, you can hit from a distance back then, hand to hand, it wasn't. And so, with that pillar of fire during the day and the pillar of cloud at night, how did they know when it was time to move camp? The pillar took off. And when it took off, they had to go. Jews had to be fast at packing, didn't they? And they had to go. And they followed it. And God would take them as far as it was needful for them to be taken. As far as it was safe for them to be taken. As far as it was healthful for them to be taken. Were there times when He moved them around out of the way of marauding bands from other countries? Perhaps so. Were there times He took them to where it would be better situated for them? God knew where He was taking them. Just like the, the, the Lord is our shepherd and He knows where to take His flock. God was guiding His flock. Many years before that psalm was penned, He was taking His flock through that wilderness. Compassion. It's a part of biblical leadership. Uh, bullying, tyrannical, uh, intimidating, and pushing of people to a certain end and goal has nothing at all in common with biblical leadership. And so we see this. Then, in Mark 6.34, we find these words. Jesus was moved with compassion. He saw the multitudes there in Mark 6.34. And Jesus was moved with compassion. Why? Because they were as sheep having no shepherd. They had no leadership. They were just wandering around. They were really fulfilling what was written in Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way. And uh, so when He saw that, his response, he began to teach them many things. He began to teach them many things. Biblical leadership has compassion. Christ saw them wandering. Christ saw them hurting. Christ saw them without any direction. And what did he do? He began to teach them many things. That's interesting to me. It seems to me the way that's written that he was addressing all the different areas of life. Even like the Bible addresses all the areas of life. Our relationships, our labor and work, our health of our soul, of our mind, of our spirit. All the areas. And He began to teach them many things. Why? Because they didn't have a shepherd. They have somebody to lead them. So He began to lead them through His teaching. If you want to know how to follow the Lord, we sang this morning in Footsteps of Jesus. We sing songs like that. How do you follow the Lord? It's not some mystical, you feel good, get some kind of spiritual goosebumps thing going. It's finding out what the Lord said and following His admonition, His instruction, His exhortation, the examples He's put down in the Bible. Letting His teachings guide us in our decision making. Letting His teachings transform our processes of thinking so that we approach things the right and biblical way. And so what ends up happening, there was compassion. And he began to teach. And that leads us to the next biblical leadership, the next quality, and that's communication. What I saw in common was compassion. You know, one way in which David, who may well be the greatest king that Israel ever had, I know Solomon's kingdom exceeded David's kingdom in wealth. And uh, in some aspects in glory, but David was probably the greatest king, I think, without any question that Israel had. And David, God said David was qualified to be a king because he'd been a shepherd. 
And so he took that compassion and he took that care and God said, I want somebody to lead my people that's going to feed my people, direct my people, care for them, not damage them. And so he did that. So communication. There's a great necessity for that. <laughs> we have a little fun sometimes as a married couple. And uh, I'm sure everybody's, we've been married 36 years and you've been married that long. You have your own communication. You have your own inside jokes. You have your own certain things you've picked up down over the years. And uh, every now and then, my wife will say something and I'll say, what, what, hold on, I didn't get that. You know, I mean, we have this thing and maybe you all understand it. She's a gal and I'm a guy. And uh, by the way, that's all there is. And uh, we, we communicate differently. Our brains think differently. That's not just personality. That's what we are. My sister's funny. She has a very logical brain. She's the kind of lady who can be a very good office manager. She has been. She's very good at it. Because she can compartmentalize, deal with things, go from this section to this section, just deal with this, deal with this. She calls that the male side of her brain. I'm a little worried about my sister. But she says, every now and then the female side of my brain takes over and I get angry at it and say, hush, you emotional thing. Settle down. we got to make a decision. My, my, uh, <laughs> what, what's, what's the word they use? My, my sister is, it's not stress. What's the word? Is it? She's, there's a word that she's right now. Conflicted. That's it. So, there you go. Sis, I hope you're listening. You really are. It shows in your eyes. You don't understand that. Oh, anyway, they, <laughs> we have a different way of communication. And sometimes my wife will say something. I'm like, you turn left without signaling. What? I'm sorry, honey. I'm trying to follow. What did you say there? Not because she's not an intelligent lady. It's just we talk differently. And uh, here she'll say, it's a classic lady statement. I knew what I meant. Maybe you've ever heard something like that coming to you. Don't be a coward. Right, raise your hand, man. Right. You better be careful. you got to be talking about your mom. She'll want you, boy. Um, I knew what I meant. Have you ever heard that? Okay, now I want to know something. I'm really interested. Any of you ladies ever hear your husband say that? Does he ever say, really, seriously? Okay, fellas, some of y'all need therapy. Um, <laughs> or I'll laugh at something, and she goes, that's not funny. I'm, I'm like, 50% of the people in the room think it is. So, um, <laughs> for a good friendly comedian. But it's, uh, so we're communicating... And she says something, and she says, I knew what I meant. And I say to her almost every time, that'd be awesome if you were talking to yourself. <laughs> but since this apparent thing we're doing here is you're trying to communicate something to me, it would be awesome if I knew where the signals and lanes were. Now listen. Part of leadership is communication. Seeking to clearly convey that which we as a leader in any situation, don't be thinking about positional with a job or something like that. Don't, don't, don't get so narrow as to only think that way. It does include that, but don't think just that realm. Um, any opportunity. Think about, you're witnessing to somebody, you're leading them to Christ. 
You're not saving them. You're leading them to Christ. What's that term mean? It means that you are trying to lead their thinking to a point where they are thinking about and considering Jesus Christ, who He is, and why He came. There's leadership in that. So many things we do in life. And when we do it, there is a communication need so that we can effectively use whatever it is that God's given to us to be a help to those who are seeking to lead. Because biblical leadership, a person who is a biblical leader in any capacity at any point in time is to have the heart of the Master and desire to help and to guide and to grow those who you're leading. You may not be able to help the whole picture, but you want to do your part to be helped. You want to do your part to be involved in their life. And uh, the communication is important. best way I could find to show this scripturally was what led my mind to it scripturally, and that was the, the uh, expressed desire of someone desiring to be led. Let's look at this, both in, in, in the psalm, Psalm 5. Psalm 5 is one. And we're going to see the desire of someone desiring to be led of the Lord and the heart and the passion that goes with that. And when we look at it, here's what it needs to show us. It needs to show us the urgency, the importance of communicating. It is very much a real need. Not just a want. It is a need in people's lives. And to voluntarily withhold it is an act Perhaps even of cruelty. It can be a tool for getting revenge. But certainly a lack of being charitable and showing godly love towards someone who needs it. Psalm 5, and let's look at this please. In verse 8, look at the heart. Lead me, O Lord. Isn't that a very direct prayer? I want God to lead me. I want to make wise decisions. I've got a wife who needs me to make wise decisions. I've got adult sons and daughters-in-law who whatever influence I have in their life, and I'm not the heads of their households, but the influence I have and the part I want to be in their life, they need me to make wise decisions. I have grandchildren. We need their happy to make right decisions. I have this congregation of which you all are a part that I love and you need me to make wise decisions. You need to make wise decisions. May God help us to have this heart. Lead me, O Lord. There's a submission in that, isn't it? That's the strong strength of submission right there. I love that. Lead me, O Lord, in Thy righteousness because of mine enemies. In other words, there are struggles and troubles that need help. Make thy way straight before my face. You always get the idea that the psalmist says, I can miss the trail really easy. Several weeks ago, somebody was explaining where something was, and they made the great statement people like to make, you can't miss it. And I said to them, you underestimate my, abil uh, my abilities. I promise you I can miss it. I got so tickled when Brother Darren was finishing Bible college and he was still in Northwest Indiana 
And we were at Liberty Baptist at that time, and we were living in a small house that my uncle Roe owned, and my wife and I were living there, and he came down to visit us, I don't know, a few times during that two and a half years. He never made it there without getting lost. He ended up in Drexel, which is not a great place in Dayton to be. <laughs> he ended up, I don't know where all. We would get a call. Um, I don't know where I am. I don't know how I got here. I'm in Dayton. How did I get there? <laughs> no. Forget that. Don't, let's not unravel the mystery. Let's get you where we are. Then we moved over here. We're living where we do now. and He's coming through. It's simple. Literally, coming off 70, you have a couple of terms. And I get a call. He says, I have almost no coverage. I said, what's going on? He goes, I'm somewhere in the Hocking Hills. He was like down around Old Man's Cave. Lost as a goose in the snowstorm. It was late at night and he was running out of gas. I'm like, brother, you've always liked to hike. <laughs> you run out, you're on your own. I don't know what to tell you. God's preparing you to be a missionary, survive. Um, lead me. It's something to miss an exit. It's something else. My wife missed an exit once. She's terrified of heavy traffic. She was in Chicago. She, I'm not going to shoot. This is my illustration. And uh, she... I may pay later, but it's worth it. <laughs> she pulled over to the side, the berm, on I-94, the Dan Ryan Expressway, put the car in reverse, and backed up to the exit and took off again. May I suggest to you that's not a great idea? Better than lost. Better than being lost. She was sure somehow. <laughs> You're agreeing with that, Stacy. You... Oh, maybe you're for Mrs. Manning on that. You're, uh... Phyllis, Phyllis, I've seen you lost literally in a gas station, okay, sis? Literally, I've seen, okay, it's, uh, all right, there we go. Literally! And it wasn't even like a flying J, it was just like, come on, come on. Anyway, um... But we don't want to miss where we're going. It terrified her. Literally, the thought of going up to Chicago, not know where she's going, ending up who knows where. There's some great places that are not great places to end up in Chicago. Now, a lot of us fellows right now are thinking, some of you ladies in there are thinking, just go on down, find another exit, come back, what's the big deal? Um, but that's terrifying, the thought of missing that. They say, preacher, do you have sympathy for that? No, I love my wife. She doesn't have to think like I think. I think that's crazy, but she did it. <laughs> She thinks I'm crazy. Some things I do, that's fine. We, we stay amused. Um, what? You got where you need to go, which is a miracle of God. Um, however, there was a 12-car pileup on Dan Ryan that day. Um, induced by a gal in a 76 Nova, 77 Nova. Um, Kirsten was like that. Your daughter. When she used to drive to some of the youth activities, we'd have two or three cars going. Kirsten would literally almost go up on two wheels to stay behind me. She was terrified of getting lost from behind me. And I was watching. I wouldn't have lost her. 
But I, I, she did, you know, when it wasn't in danger, and it became worth it just to put her in situations where you had to see what she could do maneuvering wise. Um, may we be that concerned about not missing what God has? I'm not talking about walking on eggshells and being doofy about it. What I'm talking about is having a heart that says, God, lead me. I have enough sense to stop and consider and say, God, give me wisdom. And then use that thing He put in your skull called a brain and look what's in front of you. Trust that God who made you made that where it will work in reason and think. And trust that God can guide you in that. <laughs> Lead me. Communication. God wants to. Let me give you another one. Psalm 25. I've covered it as my outline here. Psalm 25 and look in verse 5. Look at the heart of this. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. What a great way to, what a great heart to have to go. Lead me in thy truth. Lead me, God. Let me, let me rightly divide that. Lead me, God, let me apply it in my living on a day-by-day basis in the way that's right. Why? Because you're the God of my salvation. So I'm going to come to you to find out how to be led. So there's compassion, there's communication, and then there's comprehensibility. So I don't know what that word means. That's a strange word, and I don't know what it means. Um, comprehensibility, you need to be able to understand it. So then why don't you use a smaller word? Because I couldn't find one that rhymed. <laughs> Instructions, expectations, and encouragement are to all be given in a clear, understandable manner. This is an area where we very easily and very frequently fail to give clear instruction to make clearly known what expectations are and to miss opportunities for clear encouragement. I have a sarcastic nature. Some of you are saying you're kidding, right? Um, anyway. Um, sarke, to cut the flesh. Sometimes it just really needs to be, as we have a saying in our family, put it in the trunk and leave it there. Um, sometimes I'm very tempted to blend encouragement with a little sarcastic with it. Well, that's not bad for somebody as goofy as you, that kind of an approach. I'm not saying that all that is always sinful. I'm not even saying everybody does it that way is being malicious. I am saying to you, unequivocally, that there's a lot better way of doing it. It's amazing. It takes a certain amount of security to properly encourage others. Insecurity will quickly rob us of the capacity to properly encourage others. We just don't feel comfortable with the emotion of it. And so we... Go about it in a roundabout way. There's playfulness, and I understand that. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not overboard on that. But I am saying, you and I and everyone we meet 
at some time or another just clearly need to hear somebody say, doing all right. That specific thing you did was good. Hey, you accomplished that. For those of you who are very prone to be uh, being very careful with details, you're very helpful and useful in so many ways with that, but be careful that you don't always throw in that one thing which could have been better. You did a good job, but learn, learn, learn to, look, take control, you're going to bite that thing every now and then. Bite it hard. You did a good job on that, and you see something that's flawed. It's time to leave that alone. Well, how will they grow? Not by you doing that. They'll either become angry or shut down, according to the personality. Nobody's ever grown by being picked at. The silence, which underscores the reality of it. And so, instructions, clear. It's easy to not give clear instructions, isn't it? You could probably have a lot of funny stories if we were to go around the room tonight about times instructions were not clear or you meant something this way or that way. How many of you remember Kenny Moore used to be in our church? Appreciate it. I love his love for the Bible. Well, that's never varied with him. And um, Kenny was an excellent adult Sunday school teacher. Really well. And for a good while in the church, he was the treasurer. That's what he was when I came. We no longer have that particular position. But he was the treasurer for the church and it was constituted a little different then. And uh, I was writing a, a list of things. I was going to be gone. I wanted him to take care of a few things. And I had written a list for myself of things that needed done. And I wrote a list for Kenny of things I needed him to do while I was out of town. As an adult Sunday school teacher, as a man of some responsibility, I confused the two lists. And I left him my list. And on my list, there was a reminder to me when I got back to hold a business meeting concerning a certain thing of business. Well, one of the have-tos for me to pastor a church, there's just a handful of have-tos. One of them is I moderate all business meetings. The church doesn't get together and have a business meeting while I'm not here. That's a have-to. That's a break-the-deal have-to for me. And I made that clear when I came as a pastor. And <laughs> the, uh, you say, why? i got to live with the results. You can move your membership somewhere else, bottom line. And, and so I came back. I said, how did things go? And he said, great. And he was telling me about it. And he says, and the business meeting went well. Gaskets exploded in me. They got to stand very, very young, too. They just exploded. I said, business meeting? You know, something delicate like that? <laughs> business meeting? What do you mean? And I could see. He, got to, he goes, we had business meeting. I must have been snarling. I still remember his expression. I go, why did you have a business meeting? He pulled out the sheet. Because you, you left me this note. I'm the one to blame. I caused all my pain. 
You know, I mentioned this morning about driving the truckload of stupid in Sunday school. Not going to do anything with that now, Rachel? I already know what happened after I said that, okay? That's why you were laughing so evilly in Sunday school. Now I know what was going on. There you go. The Lord done found you out, sister. Um, or at least your husband tattled on you. Um, I talked in my Sunday school class, I talked about uh, driving a truckload of stupid, but I didn't just drive it. I stopped and dumped the load on myself. <laughs> We're not very good communication. Why did you do that? Because you told me to. I still remember Dr. Gray Sr. He was talking about once having a staff meeting and had at that time, I don't know, 20-some staff members in the meeting with the church staff and the church was very large at that time. And, and he said he was going around and something had messed up and really caused a problem and it went around the circle and people were talking about it. And he was getting aggravated and he says, whose idea was this? And the whole staff go, yours? He had forgotten. He's letting me come up with this. And he's like, oh, brother. Let there be clear communication. And by the way, there are going to be some things along the way, and Kenny very graciously forgave me uh, for being crazy at that time. Um, but there's going to be some, some, com- some uh, communication that's not clear in that. But when we, want to, when we want it to be comprehensible, when we want to get the, get the message across, we'll work hard at making sure the details are there and uh, the instructions, expectations. Look in Psalm 27, and it shows this, what I'm talking about here. I love this little statement in Psalm 27. And again, it's, we find it in a uh, heart towards the Lord and asking Him. It says, Teach me Thy way, O Lord. Verse 11, I didn't tell you that. See, communication, it's a problem. Psalm 27, verse 11. Teach me Thy way, O Lord. And lead me, look at it, in a plain path because of mine enemies. The idea there is he's trying to get ambushed. People are trying to trip him up. And he said, God, he said, lead me in a plain path. You know, part of good, sound, intelligent leadership is seeking to become more and more understandable, more and more comprehensible, if you would, to those who we are trying to communicate with because the avenue for our compassion having a good effect in other people's lives is clear communication to that person. I've been encouraged this week by a little thing that was sent to me. I think why if you mentioned to me something encouraged you, someone said or brought to your attention. I think that uh, everyone, we could take the opportunity to strengthen somebody else if we'll, if, we'll set, if we'll set out to do it. And then look in Habakkuk and uh, I'll talk about eight minutes while we find it. <laughs> Feel like that? Hopefully I'll find it. Is that before or after Amos? Minor problems, maybe. I ran out of Old Testament. Where is it? Have you found it? Huh? I already went past Nahum. That's where I thought it was. Nahum Habakkuk, right? 
Oh, I went past him. I jumped over him and landed there. There we go. I get. I was right. It was turning to running through my mind. It's funny you can't find it, and you're the preacher, and everybody's looking at you, waiting on you, and then you start locking up. You're over, you know, you're over in the New Testament looking for him. We can have a quick chapter two. Look in verse two. And the Lord answered me and said, "Write the vision." That's what he had gotten from God, and what God was showing him as a prophet. Write the vision and make it plain upon tables. In other words, on a written surface, write it. Put it in a comprehensible form. Put it in an intelligent form. Write it upon tables. Make it where it can be seen. Look at the purpose of it. That he may run that readeth it. In other words, the end result of things being understandable is so that those who receive the communication can do something with it. That he reads, that he who reads it may run. What's that got to do? What, what, what's, what's that talking about? It's talking about setting his course. It's talking about establishing his pace. You're going to run a foot race. The length of that race determines how you start. You're running everything's in meters now, but when I was as very much on a very, very, very basic level in a, in a, on a track team. You had the 100-yard dash. Everything's meters. But you had a 100-yard dash. You had the 220, you had the 440, the 880, the mile. I ran all of those. Are all, not the 100 I didn't run, but the 220 and up. I ran all of those competitions. The mile relay, which is a 440, it's a quarter-mile run, but it's a little different because of the relay situation. Run all of those. You don't start out on the mile like you start out on the 220. You don't run the 440. You don't start it like you start the 220. You have a different pace because you know how long the race is going to be. You have a position. You have a way you take off. You have rules governing what lane you can be in. You have a different thought in your mind, a different strategy. When, when Habakkuk 2.2 talks about taking the vision that he that reads may run, it has to do with the fact that the communication of what God's given you to communicate to somebody needs to be in an intelligible manner so that they can set a pace to stay at it. What's expected? What is this like? And how do I go about it? So I can be in not just at the beginning. If I had taken off on the mile runs I was involved in, like I took off in the 220, where I would not have been is at the finish line. And I would not be able to hold that pace. If I took off in the 220, like I did the mile run, I would get to the finish line after they were stringing the tape across for the next heat. Communication. Biblical leadership we convey to others. Here's, here's, the, here's the kind of pace we're going at. Here's, here's the direction. You may not have all the answers. You may not be able to lay everything out at once. It's not unusual. But you can communicate things. And it's, it's understandable. Here's what's going on. 
Hold on, I'll tell you what. You get your attitude right. What did you just say? And I'm sorry, I'm not trying to embarrass. I, I, I try to not embarrass parents in front of children. I don't think that's possible. I try not to do it. But it's not wholly unavoidable. Um, what did you say? What's that mean? Well, you know, I have good attitude. It's like saying to somebody, they're doing a job which they detest doing, or they're afraid of doing, or they don't know what to do. There's a lot of things that can affect somebody. And and they but they set out to do it, but they don't seem enthusiastic and they, they're not smiling. Smile, enjoy it when you do it. Is there really anything just about that? You don't let the mouth off. Don't let them sass back. But the others, what are we saying? Hey, get your attitude right about doing this. Okay? How would that compare with something like, you obviously don't like to do this. Nope. You're obviously upset by it. Yep. Are you going to have to do it anyway? And there's a reason for it. And you have to make the decision whether you explain all that reason at that time or not. Because at some point they need to learn to obey. But man, most of the time, here's what's going on. Then a question makes a difference sometimes. Every time we get to that, you really react to it. Why? You might be surprised. It might be something totally different than what you've assumed. I don't like it. It scares me. That's a whole lot different than I'm not going to do it because you can't make me do it. You know, people are scared to do something or they feel like it's going to make them look dumb or it's going to put them on the spot or anything like that. They have a very negative reaction to it. I mean, we had fun with but honest to goodness in my wife's Heart of hearts, she would rather back up along the Dan Ryan and take her chances than miss an exit and go forward. You can say in whatever manly tones you want to, get over it. It ain't getting over. <laughs> so, wouldn't it be a lot better to communicate? Here's what's expected. Here's why. And if the situation's appropriate for it, may God give you wisdom on it. You know, here's the consequence of not doing it. But you stay out of this nonsense talk and this emotional where you don't know what's going on. Well, you just need to have a better attitude. Okay? What do you mean by that? How about, you know when you walk in a room and you're huffing and puffing and you do this or you're walking down the hallway like this or worse yet, you got your face in your phone Every, every step you're taking and you're walking past everybody in your church, you're walking past everybody in your family, what you are communicating to them is they don't matter. All that matters is you and your little world. 
and whoever you're looking at on the other side of that thing, you're communicating to every person that you go past, you don't matter. So they're not going to like that. But you're dealing with a clear issue. Here's, here's, here's understanding with it. Then it comes down to their heart what they're going to do with it. Communication. May God help us. Biblical leadership. And listen, you're going to have leadership and you're going to have fellowship and you're going to be in different positions according to what you're doing in life. There are times when you'll, you'll, you'll need to take leadership on something. There are times when you aren't the leader in something. And, and we need to know how to act in a way that's, that, that's honoring to the Lord in all that we do. And uh, to me, I'm just telling you, to me, something that's exciting about this subject is the fact you can just keep growing in it. You can keep learning. You find different applications. find different ways to help. And the more you learn and the more you're willing to learn, the more people you have opportunity to help out. And forgive me saying this, some people will disqualify themselves in the sense they don't, they're, they're not going to go forward. But that's their choice to make. They make that choice, they make that choice. Then what do you do? You go find somebody you can help. Find somebody you can help. Let me pray with you tonight. Father, thank you for your word. And uh, God, help us to do this well. I, I feel a strong need of your help as I'm preaching this, Lord. Um, and would like to keep growing in all these areas. Father, I pray you'll help your people to do this. God, may there be a, a better loving of one another because of our desire to be led by you and to lead through you. And Lord, some of you here, you've probably marked for leadership in some areas where they'll have influence over numbers of people in their life. Or probably some of them right now, they wouldn't even think of that, but you, you have it for them. God, may they learn to follow you so they can lead like you. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together, please. And the invitation's open. Why don't you come? And there ought to be a heart saying, God, lead me so that I can follow you and in following I can help others.